That is all the announcements I have. Why don't we take our Bibles tonight and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, we looked a couple weeks ago, uh, the week before I had a baby, (laughs) or my wife had a baby, (laughs) not me. Uh, We looked a couple weeks ago, I don't look like it, do I? No, my wife did all the work, I just stood there and waited. But we looked at the first part of this great chapter of 1 Samuel chapter 17 with David and Goliath. Uh, We saw the army of the Philistines and the army of the Israelites encamped on two sides of what was called the Valley of Elah. And uh, they're on these two mountaintops, honestly mountainous regions overlooking the mountains there. The two sides, if you were to look at a topographical map, just giving you a bird's eye view of what this scene looked like, you had two sides of mountainous uh, uh, land that stood about 1,260 feet in elevation, and then a bottom valley where it bottomed out at about 100, uh, 860 feet in elevation. And every single day, Goliath would come down to that valley and yell and defy the armies of the living God. And that's what you can envision now. The Bi- if you remember how we looked at the first part of chapter 17 and how the Bible describes Goliath, he was a fighting machine. He's your top pick of the NFL draft. He's the guy that you would want as a champion fighting for, for you. And from man's perspective, he couldn't be beaten. But David, as we're going to learn here in just a second, doesn't look at, at Goliath from man's perspective. If you remember, his spear was like a weaver's beam. And if you picture that, it's like a long two-by-four that could be wielded with one hand if you were a nine-foot giant. The, the head of that weaver's beam, the head of that spear, weighed 16 pounds. Okay, so can you imagine you going bowling? Okay, and most bowlers use about an eight to a 10-pound ball. I like a 10-pound ball. I can get many strikes with that. But think about a 16-pound bowling ball at the end at the end of that spear. And I'm telling you, that was a deadly weapon to be wielded. And if it was thrown, it would probably do some damage. His armor weighed 200 pounds. And that is why the Israelite men said to David, if you look with me in God's word here tonight at verse 25, They said, and the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that is come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. Why was he come up? This, what Goliath was doing right here, was known as in the Jewish mindset, in the Jewish way of thinking, and in that that part of the world at this time uh, was known as championship fighting. And that was where the army won if their God was greater than the other army's God. The one warrior would come out, instead of two armies having to duke it out, one warrior would come out and represent their God, and the another army would send out their champion fighter, and he would represent the God of that army. And this, was, this is very common. You'll see it in the Old Testament. In fact, Elijah kind of, he, he plays on the fact of that, that, that mindset to Ahab. You call on your God, Baal, and see if he's going to answer. And I'm going to call on my God, and we will see who the one true God is, and we know exactly what happened. Fire fell from heaven. It was from the one true God of Elijah. And 
God won a great victory that day. So Goliath thinks that he has the greater God, and we know that that's not true. Sadly, no one on Israel's side believes that their God is big enough for, for them to be able to win this victory. David here, as we're about to see, does trust God. But why is that? Why? Because he expects great things from God. And that's what I want us to see here tonight as we go to prayer, is do you expect great things from God? And that's what I want to focus on here tonight. Father, would you help us as we look into your word? And Lord, this simple story uh, that oftentimes we neglect and kind of shove off as a children's story that's, that's shared in Sunday school. Lord, there's some great truth here for us to get tonight. Lord, I pray that we would uh, be attentive. And Lord, uh, Lord, would you open our eyes to this passage as maybe never before. Lord, so that we can glean from it. And Lord, that you would change our lives with it. In Jesus' name, amen expecting great things from God. Let's read, let's look at verse 25 here. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel he is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Now why was that such a big deal? Why were those three things such a big deal to David that he was questioning them? And he says, what, what shall, in verse 26, what shall be done to the one who kills this Philistine? He's, the, the, it wasn't just that the king was going to make him rich, although that was probably really, really nice to, to, to a poor shepherd boy. It wasn't just that he was going to marry his daughter, although marriage was... In that times, I mean, if you were married, you, you were a rich man. You had, you had paid a, a, a large due to have that marriage. But the third thing is interesting, making your house, his house free in Israel. That would mean that n neither him nor all of his family would ever have to pay taxes again. Wow. Okay, could you imagine that? If, if, you, won, if you won against Goliath, n neither you or anybody related to you in, in your common household would ever have to pay taxes or be ta uh, taxed again. Verse 26 says, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to this man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And David says, Who is this guy? And notice he uses the word uncircumcised. He's saying, This guy has no right to do this. He's not part of the covenant of God. He's not part of the chosen nation of Israel. Why are we walking around fearing this guy? Why are we walking around with our heads in the sand, as it were? And I want to say to us tonight, we should never live that way. We should never live by the fear of man, because that just shows how much trust we really have in our God. Proverbs tells us it's a snare when we live our lives fearing what men think. And Goliath here is defying the name of God. He's defying God's name. He's coming out, and I don't think he was, you know, he was... Um, uh, uh, he was not going out there saying, oh my, and sticking God's name in there, but he was defiling God's name. He was using the true God's name flippantly. You know, today in our society, uh, if I can bring this 
right here to 2022 in your backyard and in, in your life in, in, in application to you. Sadly, many times we get very, very angry. We get very angry when someone drops an F-bomb or, or uses a, a strong curse word or anything, but maybe we'll hear on the radio or hear from someone's mouth, oh my, and it doesn't phase us at all. We don't get mad. We don't get upset. We don't say, hey, could you not use that language? We, it doesn't even phase us anymore to the point where God is being defied without any answer. And that's what's happening here. God is being defied, and nobody is, is brave enough to stand up and say, hey, that's my God you're talking about. That's my God that, that is going gonna, is gonna to take you to the ground because you're, you're defying him, and you're defying what he says he will do. You're defying his faithfulness, and, and I'm, God's going God's gonna to punish you for that. And verse 28, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the, again after the, same, after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And Eliab here, his older brother, he's degrading David. He's, he, honestly, out of, out of everybody, Saul should have been the one to go and fight. He's shoulders, head and shoulders above everybody. But Eliab here, out of his own pride, is, is degrading David to a point that makes himself feel good when he knows good and well that he, because of fear, is the one staying back when he could go to Saul and say, hey, I'm going to go fight that giant. I'm, I trust God enough. A word starts getting around, and Saul hears about David and, and, and what he's saying, and they bring David to him. Verse 31, And when the words were heard which David spake, and they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to... <clears throat> to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he is, uh, and he a man of war from his youth. The application that I draw from that verse is: don't let anyone tell you that you're too young to attempt great things for God. On the flip side, don't let someone tell you you're too old to attempt great things for God, because God says. He's just as faithful today as he was in David's day. God wants us to attempt great things for him. Now in verse 34, David now recounts, if I can put it this way, his credentials of trusting God, he, his encounter with the lion and the bear. Verse 34, And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised, notice he uses that word again, 
Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. He defeated a lion and a bear. I don't know about you, but that took some courage. Okay, that took, that took, uh, and I'm telling you, that was just sheep. That was just sheep. And this is someone who's defying the name of God. Obviously, the sheep were his livelihood. They were his responsibility. But how much more is it an issue to defeat someone who's defying God's name? And uh, mothers and fathers, you know, we, we, we fight for our children. You know, if there was something endangering mama bear's cub, you're going to get a claw in the face, all right? That, that's our responsibility. And I would say as, as families, those, those are very important to us. But how much more here, here David deems his responsibility to these sheep as just as important, and then even more so to God's name. And we keep reading here and find out where the victory was won. Verse 37, David said, Moreover, the Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion, and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. So where was the, where was the victory won? It was in the Lord's deliverance. It, was, it wasn't in his own power to deliver himself out of the paw of the lion or the, or the, the, the paw of the bear. He, the, the Lord was the one he was trusting. David just expect big he just expected big things from God. He expected God to show up big time. Okay, more than you or I maybe watching sports game expect our greatest player to show up big time. Giannis Adenakumbo for the Milwaukee Bucks or an Aaron Judge for the, the, the Yankees. We expect them to show up and perform big time. My friends, you can expect God to show up big time. And I don't want to de degrade him to a sports player. But I'm saying you can trust God to show up every single time. Verse 38, And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put on an helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. That means he hadn't fought with this kind of stuff. He's like, this stuff is not going to do. I don't know about this. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a script. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. I, I find it interesting that he grabbed five stones. I... I I'm, I'm not going to dwell on this long, but several commentators will uh, try to, uh, and I'm putting this out there really to warn us, uh, several commentators will say that David was, he knew that Goliath had four brothers, and he was going to kill Goliath and then whip them all. I don't think David knew that at all. I think he took five stones. The Bible doesn't tell us why. But in the simplicity of it all, just as my thinking goes, I'm thinking that he's just getting prepared for what God's called him to do. 
and really the application that we can draw from that, that's not, again, I'm, I'm speculating here because the Bible doesn't tell us why. But I'm speculating that, that he's getting prepared and what it tells us is that we need to be prepared in the everyday life things and giants that God calls us to conquer. We need to take the time in the morning to get prepared. We need to take the time that you say, well, I don't have time to read a half a chapter of the Bible or a chapter of the Bible. I'll just listen to a podcast or I'll just listen to it while I'm doing the dishes. Take time with God to get prepared for the spiritual battle because it's not going to happen any other way. It's not going to happen. Be prepared for what God has for you. David wasn't so prideful that he thought, I'm going to take down that giant with one stone. I'm just going to take one stone out of the brook. He took the time that was needed to get prepared by selecting those stones. Verse 41, And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. Ruddy meaning good looking. And the Philistine said unto him, uh, unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. There it is again, that championship warrior mentality that I'm going to beat you because my God, I think my God is the greater God. And so that's, that's Goliath's thinking here. That's not what happens. Verse 44, And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh to the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts and the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. Defied. Where is the battle won? The Lord of hosts. That, that name right there that he calls God, the one true God, the Lord of hosts, is a very unique name, and it's only used a few times throughout the Old Testament. It's a unique name that emphasizes God's sovereignty and that he is the God who is over all. He's the only God who is over all. Now, I want us to pay close attention to the end of David's response here. Verse 46, This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and, will give the, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. And just, I mean, he's saying, I'm going to beat you and then everybody behind you. I'm, I'm not stopping with you. Everybody behind you, you're saying that you're going to feed my carcass to the, to, the, to the fowls of the air. I'm going to beat you and everybody behind you. And then he says at the end of verse 46, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Wow. His response was, I am doing this so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, that there's a one true God. Matthew chapter six, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, 
says to us who are saved, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's not that our works save us or anything like that, not for salvation, but people need to see that there's a God in Shono. People need to see that there is a one true God. When people look at you, do they know that there's a true God that you serve? The, uh, or, or does it just go unnoticed? Verse 47, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword or spear, and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And it came to pass, I, just let me back up for a second, he says, and he will give you into our hands. So he not only had faith that God was going to help him beat this giant, but he had faith for everybody else who had, that had their, their head in the sand behind him, that they were going to see God's work and that they were going to come to faith on this. That is, that is, again, that is simply David expecting great things of God. Verse 48, And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted, uh, hasted, hasted uh, I'm sorry, hasted, and ran toward the enemy to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith and when the Philistines saw that their saw their champion was dead they fled they turned around tail and ran they were not going to keep up their end of the bargain verse 52 and the men of Israel and of Judah arose wow Okay, so some faith was ignited here. And shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou come to the, to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Shererim, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines and they spoiled their tents. I want you to look at verse 54 here. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Why do you think David did that? Again, it was, it was, this, is, this is Goliath's armor, but why did David put the armor in his tent? Not, this is not a dogmatic thing, because the Bible, again, doesn't tell us. But I think he did it for a memorial. I think he did it. I think he set it there to be able to, to be a memorial to himself, to the next generation, to the generation after that, that that is something God did. And you can trust him just like I did. Remember several weeks ago, I talked about those memorial moments only maybe happen once or twice or three times in our lives, those big thing moments but we can find memorials, memorials in the mundane and the ordinary things of life as well. And we should constantly be setting up memorials for ourselves to, 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 
to, to bolster our faith in God, but also to our children, our grandchildren. If the Lord gives us great-grandchildren, we need to have memorials set up in our tents, in our houses, okay? Hopefully nobody here lives in a tent. But in our, in our houses <laughs> that, that we can look to and say, hey, God did that. God did that. Yeah, only if you move over there. We need to have those kind of memorials that our children can see constantly that God is who he says he is, that there is a God in heaven. Quote by William Carey here, uh, who is the, uh, William Carey was known as the father of modern missions. He was the first Baptist missionary of our modern era. And uh, he said this, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. And sadly, I think, many of us, even sitting in this room here tonight, would say that we lack attempting great things for God, many times sadly because we don't really expect great things from God. And I will tell you that that can change. That can change. It, it changes when our hearts say and believe that there is a God who says who, who is who He says He is, and that He is true, and that He is faithful, and that He wants to to knock some giants down that are that are causing people to fear around us and causing us to fear. But he is the one true, powerful, faithful, all-sovereign God. He is where the battle is won, where we can expect great things of God. He is the Lord of hosts. So may we tonight, really as we uh, close here, have a heart change. And uh, may the Lord show us where we lack in attempting things for him because we're not expecting great things from him. Father, would you help us even tonight, Lord, to make a heart decision, Lord, to allow you to build that trust and ignite that trust. Even as David was, was uh, fighting the giant, Lord, you gave him the faith that that, that that act would ignite the faith of those standing behind him that had their heads in the sand. Lord, I'm asking tonight, would you ignite some, some uh, dead hearts, some fearing hearts tonight, that you are who you say you are, and that as we move forward here into this summer, Lord, I'm asking that you would help us all to be part of attempting great things for you and expecting great things from you. In Jesus' name, amen.